Episode 150. The one where we build an argument for the straw man. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Theo narcissists out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. <laughs> and together we are the, the Theonauts! Theo narcissist. I guess I just don't get that one. Think about it. Narcissist is somebody who <laughs> is all about can't themselves. Stop looking in the mirror. Oh! <laughs> I like that, David. It's pretty clever. Dude, episode 150. Where is the time gone? 150. Oh, my goodness. It's a wow. landmark. It is. Right now, all the memories of theonautical. Um, expedition. You remember, like when we back. did number fifty, and it was a big deal. Yeah. Now we're at a hundred and fifty, <laughs> and a hundred, it was a big deal. Well, here's to a hundred and fifty more. Meh. Yeah. Here we go. Hundred fifty. <laughs> All right. Next. Next. <laughs> Moving on. So, what's going on in your life, David? Oh man, just getting ready to go to Haiti. Yeah, I know. Yeah. When are you guys leaving? Thursday. Oh my gosh. And this is Monday. Oh man, are you ready? Yeah, are you excited. Yeah, always. Yeah, got um, uh, got the cash we need today out of the bank. That's always fun because yeah. you go in there and and uh, I, I tell them, yeah, I need it in small bills and I need them all <laughs> crisp and clean. They can't be wrinkled. They can't, you know, because yeah. the Haitians, for whatever reason, I guess this is like this in a lot of uh, foreign countries that take U.S. dollars. They really get nervous whenever you hand them like a crinkly or torn right. um, dollar bill, which is weird because um, um, here, well, their dollar bills over there are just like ridiculous. <laughs> like it's just like a wadded up piece of Kleenex looking thing. You right. <laughs> you get it. I'm like, really? You're complaining because there was a small <laughs> rip in my U.S. dollar. <laughs> And you're gonna give me change right. with this Kleenex that has some printing on it, right? <laughs> Pretty crazy. But hey, whatever. Man, I'm just so insanely jealous. I want to go so bad with you guys. It's killing me. But I'm excited for the work that's going to be done there. You're taking a team of twelve. Yeah, taking a big team. Yeah, and you're going to go to Mergere, um, and you're also going to go to the island of Loganoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're gonna do the days of girls thing. You're gonna feed orphans and hang out with uh, the least of these yeah. and uh, worship with them, which is like the greatest thing yeah, in the world. It's cool. So and uh, yeah, we're bringing uh, a lot of people that have never been before too. Right. So that's gonna be fun. It's always cool to watch it sure. like, for the first time in everyone's you yeah. know through their eyes or whatever. Yeah, cool. they light up. So that means no prayer on Thursday night. Although we ought to have prayer. Yeah. Because you guys are going. Yeah. Y'all can still do it. Yeah, I think we will. Well, I'll try anyways. <laughs> See how many I can get there. Anyways. Yeah. So, dude, that's awesome. 
Not much is going on in my life except for school. Yeah. So that's it. Just school, huh? Yeah. Uh, we are nearing Thanksgiving break, and I look for that every day. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyways, all right. You want to jump into this thing? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So David and I talked, and we figured what better thing to uh, go to coming right off the 500th anniversary of the Reformation and the five solas than the one book that Martin Luther hated. Martin Luther hated. (laughs) He may have been sola scriptura, and then you need a little asterisk there because he wants to say, except for James. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, before we get too deep into into this topic... Uh, we did. We failed to mention that we did go to a play this weekend. Yes. Together. Oh man. Yes, we so saw. We should, we should at least talk about that. We saw Martin Luther on, on trial. trial. Now, whenever I first heard that, and, and it's Max McLean, right? Yes. As the the, the writer, fellowship the director. of performing arts, right? And yeah. this guy, I mean, he's a genius. He's a he's a C.S. Lewis ophile, however you want to say that. <laughs> Yeah, he absolutely is like in love with C.S. Lewis. And I've been to another one of his plays, uh, Screw Tape. You've been to Screw Tape too, yeah. which is I saw him perform Screw Tape, <laughs> which had to have been amazing. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah, I watched somebody else do it, and I really wish I would have seen McLean do it because his passion for C.S. Lewis is unlike any other. He's done the Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis. He's starting uh, Shadowlands in New York right now. Yeah, well, he, and he's he just finished up another one. Uh, the reluctant, the most reluctant convert, yes. which is about C.S. Lewis. And yes, he plays and his C.S. conversion, Lewis in that too. which is awesome. So, um, this guy's just a brilliant mind. And, and uh, Martin Luther on trial was heavenly, or heavenly, wow, heavily um, inspired with C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. uh, theology in there all through it. So, it was really good. Um, I thought it was really cool because they kind of gave you almost. A biography of Martin Luther, right? But it wasn't necessarily, but the way it was told was all, you know, nonlinear. Yeah, and I just love the way that was all. Well, when I first heard about it, I thought, okay, weird, right? So we're just gonna pretty much, yeah. And I, I really didn't research it or anything. I just went off the title, and I thought. Okay, so we're just going to spend a couple hours focusing on the, the diet, diet of, of worms. worms. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Let's do that. But <laughs> it wasn't. It's not Martin Luther at the diet of worms. It's actually Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther's wife being a defense attorney and on his behalf. On his behalf in, and in the afterlife. In the afterlife with <laughs> Satan being the prosecuting attorney. And. Who better to judge it than St. Peter himself? <laughs> and so it was really just very interesting. Some yeah. great characters, great escape. It had lots stage. of humor in it. Yeah, including uh, our, one of our favorites, Pope uh, Francis, is there. <laughs> and he's like, hello. It was so, it was perfect. So, man, I learned a lot about Martin Luther just from that. Just from that play, I learned the last things he said yeah, uh, before yeah. he died, which I'd never heard before. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty neat to hear that, and uh, it really focused on his on Jews and what his anti-Semitic writing. yeah his anti-Semitic writers <clears throat> later later in his life. That was the mm-hmm. basis of they did a great job of putting together how he could got how he how he got to those writings right. and what he was kind of thinking. Yes. 
and it's not you know what you would think. No. I mean, it's, well, people like to use that to discredit him, and the reality is, is you know, you could try to do that. Number one, he's a flawed man. Yeah. And number two, uh, I half of that stuff that he said, he didn't mean in the way it was taken. Right. And so um, it was really, it was just amazing. But um, back to our topic. Yes. Um, Martin Luther did not like the book of James, namely because of the end of chapter two, which we're only going to cover chapter one tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found it really funny. Uh, about two months ago, um, I started teaching James to my um, middle school kids, well, fifth, sixth, seventh graders. And uh, it's been just a wonderful journey through James. And uh kind of an eye-opening experience because I've never really tackled it before, but God led me to start teaching it. And um, and I walked away with a different look at it than I've ever really looked at before, just studying it in context mm-hmm. and really understanding it. And I think that Martin Luther kind of missed out on a whole lot of that, um, which is kind of weird because he was very good at his contextual studies, but when it came to... But, you know, it took him a while to get to... Yeah. His understanding of even Romans and all that. That's like, very true. And he grew up in a different time where this stuff's not readily available like it is to us today. Right. And uh, so... So the yeah, so the big question like in his mind is, why is James pitting himself against... Paul. Paul. Mm-hmm. Which is not exactly what it was, what it's about, right? Exactly. So we have to we have to look at the context of James. So James was written in the early church um, life. Of course, um, it was written by the uh, half brother of Jesus, who wasn't uh, a follower of Jesus uh, during much of Jesus's life on Earth. Um, I can't imagine being James. I've thought about that often. Imagine being the brother of the Messiah mm-hmm. and what that must have been like growing up. Your mother uh, worships <laughs> your brother. <laughs> and imagine what that must have felt like. Yeah. And it, it's just got to be tough. And so James wasn't a follower until uh, the end of Jesus' life. And um, the same re- can be said for Jude. Judas. Right. His other half-brother. And so um, this was, you know, it was a tough thing for them. But then he became, he he was converted to Christianity, and he became a champion um, for Christ uh, in the early church. Um, He was one of the main leaders of the early church. He, along with Peter, kind of like the dual roles in the the Church of Jerusalem, leaders of the Church of Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And... um, just a special man, and so he's writing. James is writing at the kind of the end of his life, and um, during the time that he's writing is a very tumultuous time in the early church. This is a time when there was serious persecution going on um, for Christians, and so it was a a struggle to even say you were a Christian or to equate yourself with Christianity. And so that's the the backdrop of which James is writing. Um, and you see that in the letter played out, especially in the first chapter. The first chapter is all about how to handle mm-hmm. suffering. 
The whole thing is how to handle suffering. Um, And so that's really what we're going to walk through. Today we're going to hit the first chapter and and see where we go from there, talking with David earlier, and uh, we'll find out exactly what happens. But um, we really want to focus on this first chapter today. So I'm going to ask David to read James chapter 1, and we're going to go verses 1 through 4. Okay, I'm reading from the NET today. From James, a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect, so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. Okay, so right off the bat, we, we get who's writing, James, and who he's writing to. He's saying the 12 tribes in dispersion. So these are uh, Hebrew Christians, um, and they've been dispersed, okay? So what that means is um, they, they've been sent all over the world, and the reason they're in dispersion <laughs> is because they're under persecution. So they're hiding out, all right, these, these, uh, these Christian Jewish Christians are hiding out, um, and what does he say? He says, verse 2 is the crux of the entire argument of chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Okay? So, I always thought, man, this this is a really gutsy verse right here. Mm-hmm. When you think of your trials, the last thing you think of is joy. Right. You know, we have final financial trouble, judgment, death of a loved one, physical pain, depression, mental illness, war, loss of a job, famine, relationship issues. Yeah. Right? All these things going on for you us. You don't want that stuff. No, you don't want that stuff. But let's take it back in the context of when James writing. He's not just talking about that stuff. He's talking about count it joy whenever people drag you into court, convict you of being a Christian, mm-hmm. and cut off your head. Yeah. Or feed you to lions. Or snag your family and torture them in front of you. Right. Or take your family and torture them. And James is saying, hey, <clears throat> be joyful in this. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but the last thing I think of whenever I'm struggling with anything is joy. How in the world can we be joyful under trials? And his answer comes in verse 3. Because, or for, Mm -hmm. you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Mm -hmm. All right. So James is saying to these struggling, persecuted Christians that they're being tested when they're under these trials. Now, I've always heard, well, I've not always heard, I've heard arguments from all over, saying that God only wants good for you, right? <laughs> he only wants to bless you. He He only wants to give you financial and relationship peace and, you know, happiness. Yeah. And, and well, what's I, better for you than faith er, and endurance? Right. right. <laughs> well, this these verses fly in the face of that. And I don't know how you can be um, a prosperity teacher and skip over these verses or 
study church history. Mm-hmm. I think if a prosperity pastor went back in time and tried to preach his lessons oh, man. The, to these people... The church always flourished under persecution. Yeah. Like every time the church is growing and spreading, it's under persecution. It's only whenever you get into these times of, of quote-unquote, peace or Christian liberty and Christian freedom <laughs> or freedom of religion that we actually start getting complacent and we stop doing a whole lot. Right. Absolutely. <clears throat> and so whenever we read this, we read that these trials are a gift Mm. From God, trials are a gift from God. Have you uh, ever read uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs? Uh, I've you know I've glanced over a lot of it. Uh, I've read the modern rendition. It's but... it's a great study in this actually because um, there are some stories in there that just were burned into my head whenever I read them, and um, a couple of them is um, there was a guy that was. There's a couple of, of stories about guys that were uh, tossed into the arena in the Roman Coliseums and uh, to be fed to wild beasts. Yeah. And there's the story of this one guy who um, everyone was kind of huddled up like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they released a, a, a lion and this guy charged the lion and tackled the lion and the lion ate him. <laughs> but the but the point was that he ran to it like, I mean, this is like the epitome of the statement, right? Right. Kind of all joy whenever, and he was like, he ran to his fate, right? Because of his faith, exactly. And uh, one of the things that that the book points out is that um, people came to these coliseums to watch mayhem and horror, right? And it was like, we go to a horror movie now. Same thrill. You know, they would come and they would watch the people freak out, run around and get chewed up. Right. Well, what was happening with these Christians is they weren't doing that. Like, it was not uncommon at all for these Christians to be put into this situation and they would hold hands, they would sing hymns, they would be praising God while the animals are ripping them apart. And everybody in the stands is crying because they don't want these people to die at this point. Sure. And and so uh, they said that there were uh, hundreds upon thousands of conversions made in the audiences of the Colosseums simply because people were dying honorably right because of this faith and endurance and right. so it was like producing things right so god is allowing these people to be tested because of their faith producing steadfastness or endurance and endurance and what does that do in verse 4 that steadfastness has its full effect. In other words, the end of steadfastness is to make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what is the purpose for these testings? Well, the testings are to make you into the person that God has called you to be. So... um what is what is the purpose for man? Period. Um, if you if you look back in Genesis and you see 
um, the truth that that man's perfect purpose is to be an image of God on earth, right? Is to be a picture of God for His glory, and so actually, James is what James is saying here is that this testing is creating us and creating in us a likeness of Jesus. Okay, so um, the best analogy you can use, and the word he uses here, the testing or the proof, um, is the same type of analogy and wording that people would talk about whenever they talked about blacksmiths mm-hmm. or silversmiths. Okay, <clears throat> so a silversmith, and I don't know if you've heard this before out there, um, I think it's used, this analogy is used a lot, but um, a silversmith, he takes an imperfect metal that has silver in it, right? Right. And he heats up, he stokes a fire, and he puts that thing in a pot, and he starts melting that metal down, right? And that fire, the hotter it gets, the hotter it gets, you know, the more it melts. And and the thing that bubbles to the top are these impurities, right? And then the metal smith will take, and he'll scrape off the top of that metal, um, and he'll take out those impurities. The dross. The dross, and he'll mm-hmm. keep doing that and doing that, and... Um, whenever that metalsmith can look down into that metal, that silver, and see his image and see no dross, then he knows that he has a perfect piece of silver or piece of metal. And so it conforms into the likeness of the silversmith, uh-huh. right? right. It, 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 it becomes perfect. So... The image that James is actually using here in verses two through four, and he's this is just the first four verses. He just jumps into it, you know, and he uses the image that this this testing that they're going through is producing perfect pieces of metal that conform to the image of Jesus. And that's who we're supposed to be. So when we're, whenever we're tested by these things that are going on in our lives, we should look at them as a gift, and that gift is creating, a, creating us in the likeness of Jesus, and that's something that we can have joy about. That's the reason that James says, count it all joy. Now, I don't think that he means that we should have counterfeit joy or walk around pretending to be happy. Right. Right. Or act like everything's just hunky dory when everything is not hunky dory. That's not what his intent was. And I think a lot of people take this wrongly, but his intent was to show us that we can have joy in the midst of these trials because they're creating us into the thing that we were made to be to begin with. Mm -hmm. And that gives that's supposed to give a Christian true joy. Right. And yeah, think about it from that standpoint. He says, count it as joy. Right. Like it's not necessarily the feeling of joy. Right. But it but it is an equivalent to joy because it means that you are becoming closer to God. Exactly. And if you are in that mindset, then it actually becomes a joyous thing in a way. Right. It's not that you're laughing through your pain. No. But you are... You are satisfied in your heart, exactly, with what's going on because you know what it's producing. Sure, and and that's the that's the whole purpose. It's mm-hmm. producing in us uh, the likeness of Jesus. It's and it's demonstrating the power of God in our lives. 
Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Okay. To um, <clears throat> let me see where I'm at. Verse uh, five. Yes. Through. Um, let's go verse five through eight. But if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without reprimand, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, since he is a double-minded individual, unstable in all his ways. Wow. All right, so there's a lot to break down there. Uh, I have a C.S. Lewis quote here. Um, It's pretty cool. The quote is, No great wisdom can can be reached without sacrifice. And I find that very true in my own life. Uh, whenever I, I search for meaning or wisdom, usually it comes through struggle mm-hmm. or pain. Right. Right? And uh, that's exactly what, what James is saying here. And, um, you know, one of the most natural things for us as humans to do is ask God why. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So... Let's let's take a horrible example. Let's say your spouse dies or your child dies. The first thing that comes to your mind is, why? Mm-hmm. Why would you allow that to happen, God? <clears throat> you know, I've heard that you're a loving God. I've heard that you're a caring God. Why in the world would you allow this to be in my life? This is pain beyond pain beyond pain. And that's exactly what these Christians were going through. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that our struggles today pale in comparison to what these guys were going through back then. And so I think it's a natural thing for them to ask why. And James is actually giving them permission to ask God why here. That's what he says. Anybody lacks wisdom? Mm-hmm. Let him ask God. Yeah. Well, the um, and, and it's important to note the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Yeah. So knowledge is something you can't acquire without pain. Right. Right? I mean, you sit down and study or whatever. Sure. But, but wisdom is usually obtained through experience and time. It's not necessary. It's the being able to use the knowledge that you've learned. So in order to do that, usually it does come with a price because you have to experience something that allows you to know how to use the knowledge that you've been given. Right. So that's why wisdom is like it, it like it says if you're deficient in it it's because you haven't experienced enough to have obtained it yet. Exactly. And so James says you're lacking wisdom, ask it from God. So number 1, it's okay to ask why. But when you're asking why, what you need to do is, number one, go to God in prayer, Hmm. right? Be faithful in doing that. Ask others to go to God in prayer for you during this time. Um, Go to God through Scripture. Seek His voice in that. And seek His answer, right? Verse 6 is a really... Clever verse. And uh, actually, let's jump back a little bit. Let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. To me, this is what this is saying. It's saying that God is going to give an answer. But sometimes that answer may either be not what we want to hear, or sometimes that answer may be silence. 
Yeah. But even when that answer is silence, we have an answer. What is our answer? Go back and look at verses three and four. Why are we being tested? So that our faith produces perfection. Right. So we have an answer already in Scripture <laughs> right here, and he just covered that. And then he says, if you're, at, if you're lacking the wisdom, ask God who gives generously without reproach. In other words, God is not going to look down on you and go, you, you idiot, mm-hmm. don't ask me why. He loves, and he gives generously. Um, it will be given to him. Verse 6, but, and here's James's warning, let him ask in faith. With no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So a person who doesn't have faith in God has no anchor. Right? Faith is our anchor. Mm -hmm. It anchors us whenever the wind and the waves come crashing around. And... um. What that means is we always can trust that God has our good in mind, mm-hmm. right? He He loves us with an unquenchable love. And even when, even if they kill our bodies, he still loves us. So we shouldn't doubt that God doesn't have that best interest in mind. And that's what keeps us grounded in Christ. That's that faith. That unmovable, unshakable faith. And it's something that, you know, <laughs> is a very hard thing to really... It's easy to sit here and analyze when you're not struggling with anything. Yeah. But the minute you do, it's, you know, well, it's hard. Another thing to make sure that people don't misunderstand here is that what he's not saying is that if you're not getting healed, if you're not receiving what you're praying for, it's because you don't have enough faith. That gets thrown around all the time. Yeah, that's not and true. And that's not what this verse is saying. No. Like, this this verse is talking about um, doubting, right. not lack of... So it's not like, well, your faith just isn't strong enough. Doubting is the opposite of faith. Exactly. So what is what it's saying here is, like, if you have no trust in it, in what you're asking, then you are, you're living in doubt. Right. You're a lot like the seed that that fell along the path and didn't take root, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what he's saying here, imagine these people are right, being carried off to prison. So imagine mm-hmm. you're, uh, they bust in and they take your wife and family, they carry them off to prison, right, to, uh, to force you um, to deny Christ, right? And... In the midst of that struggle, even though you don't have an answer for it, you say, well, forget it then. I'm, I'm just not going to be a Christian. And this is what James is talking about. This is non-faith, mm-hmm. not, not having that steadfast rock in Christ. It has nothing to do about getting a healing. There, nowhere in here does it say that if you have healing, then God's going to, or you have faith and God's right. going to heal you. Right, right. All it says is, ask God. Trust that he's going to give you an answer, even when there's not an answer. We have it. Mm-hmm. And ask in faith. And then he says, for the one who doubts is like a wave that the sea has been driven tossed by the wind. Yeah, the point here is to build your faith. Exactly. And not to succumb to doubt. Right. So that's that's the whole point. It's not that, okay, if you're going to get your prayer answered, 
you've got to have a certain level of faith. Exactly. I want to call up Mark 9 for just a minute because okay. this is a very important uh, passage on this whole, oh, your faith this isn't strong enough to be healed, blah, yeah, blah, blah, or to be dealing with whatever problem. Sure. So Jesus is dealing with this um, this this father of a child who's suffering from a uh, an unclean spirit. And he comes to Jesus and he's like, can you fix this? Can you can you take this demon out of, of my child? And in Mark 9, 23, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yes. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Now the father just admitted that he he did believe, but his belief wasn't real strong. Like right. it wasn't like to a level where he felt comfortable with it. Exactly. And that's why he was like, look, I, I believe, but I also doubt. Exactly. <laughs> and, and so, but that was, Jesus didn't go, oh, okay, well then you're screwed. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's not about that. It, you know, our faith is, is in Christ. Mm-hmm. That ultimately we will have the healing, and this man was struggling. Um, look at verse seven. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. And this isn't talking about healing. This is talking yeah. about an suffering. answer, right, through suffering, mm-hmm. right. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And we know double-minded men. They say one thing, they do another, and that's exactly what what James is saying here. Right. A man who who doubts, you gotta understand there were people leaving the church because of persecution. Yeah. Because they were being killed for saying, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. And so James Scaring is saying away from it. stop being double minded. Mm-hmm. Have faith. Know that that even though it sucks <laughs> that they you're gonna have the ultimate victory because God is God and and he's the one that you know you have your faith in. Don't be a double-minded man. Right. Don't say one thing and then leave out. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go into battle with a double-minded man who has a gun right. and is marching until the the fire gets hot. And what does he do? He tie tails and runs away. And that's mm-hmm. what James is talking about yeah. here. Yeah. He's saying have the faith. Stick it out. Hold the line. Um I think it's funny. Uh, the movie that we are constantly running quotes from on the show here, uh, Don Verdeen. Yes. So the main character lives in this little trailer, and uh, there's one of these traditional little scripture plaques by the front door, and it says James 1, verse 8. <laughs> That's all it says. He's a double-minded man. It's <laughs> stable in all of his ways. I just thought that was really it was perfect tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. yeah. So don't allow your circumstance to blind your vision. Mm-hmm. Don't allow your circumstance to blind your true vision in Christ. And... Cry out, Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. Yeah. That's that's the prayer that you need to be praying. Yeah. That's and that's not that's not even a statement of doubting. That's a no. that's a statement of faith. Exactly. Um, okay. <clears throat> so it almost seems like he like totally shifts um uh his topics here mm-hmm. from verse verse eight, from five to eight five and eight to verse 9 through 12. It's like there's this huge shift. 
And originally, that's what I thought this was until I really started thinking about what James is saying throughout the whole first chapter. And so, <laughs> right. all right, so let's read verse 9 through 12. Okay, it says, Now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position, but the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because he will pass away like a wildflower in the meadow. For the sun rises with its heat and dries up the meadow, and the petal of the flower falls off, and its beauty is lost forever. So also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will wither away. Happy is the one who endures testing, because when he is proven to be genuine, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. Okay, so he has this really weird, you know, kind of uh, shift, 9, 10, and 11, and then he seems like he, well, jumps back. he brings it back around. It's like verse 12 should be up there right (laughs) after verse uh, 8, right? But that's not what's happening here. So... um. There, there's something else that's going on, and James is really going to start hammering that in chapter two. Oh. Um, there were there were class divisions, right? Okay, right. And uh, so there were there were poor in the church, extremely poor, extreme pro- poverty, and then there were, there were people who who were well off. That mm-hmm. um, so there were people who didn't know where their next meal were coming was coming from, and then there were people who were set for life in the church. And uh, the, their traditional mindset was to honor these rich people and then kind of look down on the poor. And we'll talk about that when we get to chapter two. But James is kind of, uh, he, he's, he's doing something. He, he's focusing on this um, temporary life. Mm. Okay? So in the midst of trials and suffering... It seems like all we can do is focus on the temporary, right? Right. We uh, we struggle to have a focus on the eternal, and so he says, "Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation." Where does the lowly brother get his exaltation? Through Christ, right? Because we are made rich mm-hmm. through Jesus Christ, and then he says he has this huge warning to the rich man, James hammers on the rich people um, all throughout the book. He's harsh on rich people. Verse 10, the rich in his humiliation. All right, so why should the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation? Well, number one, that's not what was going on at that time. Yeah, See, the rich, the yeah, the rich people weren't humiliated. The poor and the humble weren't weren't exalted. They weren't even in a high position. <laughs> exactly. Like, like you could even read this if you were uh, if you were a poor person, read this and go, "What are you talking about? I don't have a high position." <laughs> yeah, James, what's the matter with you, yeah. man? And why in the world are you talking about this during suffering? So, but his answer is because. Like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. What's James doing here? He's trying to get our mindset, these people who are suffering, Mm -hmm. the rich and the poor, off of temporary life and onto eternal perspective. Verse 11, the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also... Will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits? Yep. 
All right. So it's basically, you know, you're going to be in that coffin alone. Exactly. So the poor man. There's no hearse with a a trailer being drugged behind it. (laughs) Exactly. The poor man is boasting in his exultation at death. Mm -hmm. The rich man is humiliated at death. This focus should be on eternal perspective. Right. And that's where James is really trying to push at it. The good life on earth will not last. The bad life on earth will not last. What do we need to do? We need to keep our eyes focused on the thing that lasts. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, Mm. which God has promised to those who love him. Right. So our focus seems to be on eternity. Yes. And the crown of life that's at the end of our struggle and our our trial. Mm-hmm. So it, when it talks about here, when he's proven to be genuine, I love, love the way the NET uh, phrases that. Yeah. Happy is the one who endures testing because when he is proven to be genuine. So it, sometimes, like in, in some of the translations, when you read this, it makes it almost sound like it's a works-based uh, that's very true. So, uh, type of thing, but that's not. I love the way it's it's meant here. It's meant to your perseverance is proof of who you are. Right, like your faith, your level of faith is it shows what what you are on the inside. The authenticity it's of who the you are. Proof that you are genuine. <laughs> exactly. And so it just goes back to the, you know the metal and the fire, or you know the the sharpest swords are made in the hottest heat, you know that sort of, sure. of type of thing. That you know um, that's where the genuine come out of that, right? And but like you said, the dross falls to the floor. Exactly, it's the wheat and the chaff type of thing. You yeah. know the the genuine thing remains, and everything else floats away into the wind. Right. And so yeah, it's and great. it's so much easier for <laughs> us to endure. Well, I, I want to say. Not easier, but it strengthens us and gives us faith and courage to endure these trials when we look at that mark of our faith. Mm -hmm. Lord, I I understand that this is just for a moment. This is is temporary. My wife died. My baby died. I Mm -hmm. I get that this is just just a vapor. And that's what James is going to say in chapter 3. Life is a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. Now, I was thinking about... um, I was teaching youth, actually, Sunday night after the mass shooting that happened. Oh, yeah. Right? In in Sutherland, uh, Texas. We need to pray for those people. But uh, about the time when I was standing in the pulpit preaching in our small uh, Texas, Texas church. church of around 50 people, yeah. in, a, in another small Texas church down south, there was a man who walked in at 1130 and just opened fire. And virtually nobody was left left unscathed by that. Mm. There of course were not. Twenty six yeah. dead and twenty something wounded in a church that housed fifty people. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, that could have very easily been. And the ones that weren't physically wounded were still wounded, right? It, I mean, there's no way you come out of that oh, no. unscathed. Let's, I was just reading the the. Uh, <laughs> The youngest person to die, and that was 17 months. My baby just turned 18 months. Wow. I can't imagine that happening. Mm. But it's here today, and it's gone tomorrow. That could have happened very easily right here. Yeah. And the next day, we'd be gone in glory. 
we don't, it's so hard for us to have eternal perspective sometimes, especially when we're going through trials. Yeah. Because our our focus is so on the here and now. And what James is saying... We don't have God's eyes. Exactly. So, yeah, it's hard for us to see the bigger picture. Right. James is trying to give us that. Keep your eyes focused on the crown of life that's at the end of this temporary trial. Um. All right, so... Verse 13, let's see here. We go to my overview, so I don't do it right. Wrong. Okay, <laughs> verse 13 through 18. So let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then when desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Do not be led astray, my dear brothers and sisters. All generous giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or the slightest hint of change. And by his sovereign plan, he gave us birth through the message of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Okay, so there's some some interesting verses in here that we we have to tackle and there's a lot of heady theology but it almost seems like James is contradicting himself from his first four verses here at the beginning if you just read it with a naked mm-hmm. eye but you have to look especially at the end of that you know yeah, seven, about giving all these good gifts verse yeah. 17 18 so is he a prosperity gospel or is he not right, right. is he yeah. is he giving us all the good gifts because you just said that he's giving us trials right okay so um James is drawing a distinction here but between trials and, and temptation. temptation. Yeah. There is a difference between trials and temptation. Trials are allowed and given by God mm-hmm. so that we may become perfect. Stronger. Stronger. Yes. Tested. Endured. Endured. That's right. Have endurance. Temptation is the natural, the physical, the sin nature response to trials. Mm. Anytime a trial pops up in our lives, we are we have we have a temptation there right and that is not given to us by god that's given to us by our sin nature that's ourselves giving us that right that's our own selfishness it's a natural response so you know um <laughs> guy cuts you off and then slows down to 30 miles an hour <laughs> you're tempted right this is a trial that that you've been given but you're tempted and what are you tempted to do speed up get right on his bumper you know yeah. flip him off honk your horn yell out obscenities you're tempted you wake up in the middle of the night you're stumbling into the bathroom you stub your toe this is a trial and what do you do you're tempted what are you tempted to do swear and you know scream and holler scream and holler and do all these things shake your fist at the sky exactly. why god, <laughs> god. Oh, no. <laughs> i don't know i think i might have taken that a little <laughs> yeah but you're tempted and that's a natural <laughs> response uh and I mean, you can take this further if you if you look at serious trials you go under, you will always have a natural temptation, and the best thing to do is to recognize it as temptation, and to go that's that's not of God, that's of my own selfish mm. will, 
and kill it before it becomes sin, right? Mm-hmm. Because what happens? He says, um, each person is tempted where he's when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, right? His own yes. selfishness. Then, we actually did a whole Theonauts episode on this next verse. Yes. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. When that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Mm-hmm. So if you don't kill it at the desire, you're going to give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Okay, that's that is that's that's the pattern of sin right there. Right, your selfishness gives birth to death. It's it's the sin nature. That's mm-hmm. exactly the pattern of who we are as sinners because of Adam's sin. We all fall short, and this was really being played out during his time because people, whenever the hardships and the trials were coming, they were tempted, and what they were tempted in was to reject apostasy. That's right. Yeah, reject Christ and run away from Him, mm-hmm. and that was sure enough death. Yeah, right. They were running against Christ and saying, well, we'll forget that life and going into headlong into death. And that's what James is saying here. Mm-hmm. He's saying, guys, don't, don't think that you're being tempted by God here. Don't think that this is God's fault, quote unquote. Right, right. Don't, <clears throat> don't uh, say that, well, God is obviously like wanting me to leave this yeah. because that's not the case. It's your own self, uh, selfish desire. Um, Your temptation to give up is not from God. Exactly. And then James is reminding us, do not be deceived. Don't be tricked by your own selfishness, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is a really interesting verse, and you can almost take that and say, well, a good gift is my Mercedes 500, <laughs> right? Or a good gift is, is health and wealth and uh, great relationships and all that, and those are fine things. But that, I don't believe, is what James is talking about here. I really think about the gifts of the Spirit, mm. right? Yeah. So what are endurance? These, what are these <laughs> like, gifts? You're getting this trial so that you can get endurance. Exactly. And so endurance is the gift right. that comes with the trial. Exactly. Yeah. The fruit of the spirit: love, joy, yeah. peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Yeah. And what, what's right in the middle there? Patience. Patience. Exactly. And one of the most dangerous prayers in the world: God, God, give me patience. Yes. <laughs> but these are things that God is <clears throat> is giving you, and not only that. But think about all the good gifts that God gives you. Number one, he gives you the church. Mm. He gives you fellow sufferers yeah. who labor together to try to bring, you know, to try to bring about um uh holiness. He gives you the Holy Spirit. That is a perfect gift yeah. coming down from the Father of Lights right. who right. leads you into all righteousness. And that's what he's talking about. The biggest one, grace, salvation. Mm-hmm. The ultimate gift, which is eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. Which is basically what he says in verse 18. Exactly. <laughs> like, so, this is his sovereign plan, by the way. Right. This is the greatest gift. Exactly. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first 
fruits of his creatures. The message here is that God is giving us everything we need to handle Mm -hmm. these trials. He's not backing down from us. He's not away from us. He hasn't pulled away during the suffering. What he's done is he's actually given us good and perfect gifts. Right. And we should keep our focus on those and keep our focus on our eternal perspective and where we stand with God. Yeah. That's a big deal. Which that leads right into this next change of event, or it makes it almost a change of of subject, but he doesn't really change the subject. He's basically saying, look, this is how you endure all these things, is you, you... you go to work, right? Like you put this stuff into action. Yes, you put you put these these gifts that that I'm talking about into uh, the field. You right. actually, if you sit idly by, then you're just going to suffer more. Yeah. So go to work. One of the yeah. one of the most natural things that we do whenever we're struggling with trials, um, and again, it's a is it's part of our sin nature, I believe, is to begin moping mm-hmm. and lock ourselves feel sorry away. Sorry for yourself. Feel sorry for yourself and sit in your easy chair and just try to escape in some way. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. I'm gonna go get plastered. Exactly. Yeah. Or forget the world. Seek out other means of you know coping with it, mm-hmm. coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. and. Actually, James, he starts, he he really nails it right here in these last verses. Um, so, oh my goodness, where do we go? 19 through... Yeah, 19 through 25, let's do that. Okay. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So put away all filth and evil excess and humbly welcome the message implanted within you, which is able to save your souls. Mm. But be sure you live out the message and do not merely listen to it and so deceive yourselves. For if someone merely listens to the message and does not live it out, he is like someone who gazes at his own face in a mirror. For he gazes at himself and then goes out and immediately forgets what sort of person he was. But the one who peers into the perfect law of liberty and fixes his attention there and does not become a forgetful listener, but one who lives it out, he will be blessed in what he does. Oh, so much meat there. And oh, I mean, yes. we could we could spend hours and there on are, this. There are <laughs> multitudes of interpretation yes, that the, have been written on this over the years. There are. But I'm going to take a quite literal step back. Okay. And and talk about what we've been talking about this whole time. So we're, we're talking about perseverance during right. trials and temptation, right? Mm-hmm. So this is what he says in 19 and 20. Shut up. <laughs> Sometimes the first things we do whenever we're struggling is we start yelling, screaming, yeah, yeah. right? We, we Life's unfair. Yeah, blah, blah. So James says, shut up. <laughs> Don't get angry. Listen. You have two ears and one mouth. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Listen to what God is saying to you through this trial. Yep, because getting mad is not going to accomplish <laughs> anything. It doesn't produce nothing anything. Good, nothing good right. good comes from it. Right. You know, it's it's funny. Um, have you ever, like I, I was sitting in these 
theological debates for years with people. And it's like, have you ever walked out of one of those meetings? Change. Changing your mind because <laughs> some guy shouted at you. No. No. Nobody changes because you got mad at him. No. Never. It never, it has no no effect. Right. And that's exactly what <laughs> is, is the effect of shouting. It produces nothing, but what it does is produce filthiness, rampant <laughs> wickedness, right? Right. It, right. What it does is it produces hatred and anger, mm-hmm. and that's not what God's about. He's saying, shut up and receive with meekness. Mm-hmm. Put away your selfishness, your selfish desire, put away that natural rising up and listen meekly to the implanted word it's often hard <laughs> hard to, hard to do easy to say hard to do listen to the holy spirit talking mm. to you yes because what is the holy spirit saying to you and we're going to get to that mm-hmm. in verse 25 and then he says when you hear that word be doers of it yes act upon it not just listening but do it. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. This is a great analogy that James gives us. Mm-hmm. He looks at himself, then he goes away at once and forgets what he was like. So you look at yourself and you know what you look like, right? Mm-hmm. But if if you are not a doer of what the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life, then you are forgetting automatically who you are. Right. You're looking at your picture in the mirror, and then you walk away, and you forget exactly what you look like, who you are. Mm-hmm. Listen to what he says in verse 25, though, and this is the best. But anyone who looks into the perfect law... The law of liberty. And this is the first time he says law of liberty. He, he brings it up again in chapter two. Yep. But the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Mm-hmm. So what is it saying here? Well, for me, and I think this is the translation, that law of liberty is the same law that Paul's talking about in Romans 8, it's, it's the idea of grace. Yes. The law of liberty tells us... It's almost an oxymoron. Yes. it's. I mean, it, James is using it because he's going to get into chapter 2, he's going to talk about law, because yeah. these people know law. Right. I mean, he's talking to the 12, 12 tribes. 12 tribes in dispersion. The, these people know law. Yeah. And so he uses this term almost tongue-in-cheek. And there's a couple of things, actually, he uses at the end of this chapter that are kind of tongue-in-cheek. Oh, yeah, definitely. Amazing. So it, he's, like, using it uh, sarcastically. Right. So um, he's like, you know law, but I'm talking about the perfect law, one that is of liberty, freedom. And so uh, whenever I had these debates, but some people will just take the term law and they just gravitate to it, and they go, see, there's a new law, and it's about doing new commandments. And it's like, wait, wait, slow down. You're missing the entire point. Yeah. What about the word liberty? Well, I mean, but what he's saying is this type of law, I like to equate to not the national law, 
So, so we have a national and a local laws right. that we must follow in order to stay out of prison. Or there's punishment, yep. Right. But there's another type of law. There's a law of gravity. There's a law of thermodynamics. Okay, those laws are a little bit different because you can't break the law of gravity. I mean, you just can't. I mean, you can try. You can... You can override it a little bit with the law of aerodynamics or whatever, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. Right. So the law of gravity is a principle. It's not just a list of rules. So when he says the law of of liberty here, he's talking about a principle of liberty that can't be overcome just like the law of gravity can't be overcome. Right. And so what is this principle? Well, this principle tells you who you are in Jesus. Amen. And that's what he's talking about when you when you look in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? You see and James you? is saying, "Are you seeing you, or are you seeing Jesus Christ?" Narcissist. Exactly. <laughs> because if you're seeing you, then you're not getting it. <laughs> the whole point of these trials are to create in you the perfect picture of Jesus. Yeah. And when you look in that mirror, you remind yourself who you are. I am a son of the Most High God. Mm. I have been forgiven. I have been graciously bought with a price and given eternity. Right. So am I going to allow these these temporary circumstances to bring me down and destroy my faith and make me run away from God? Or am I going to look intently into that law of liberty and walk away and go, nope, I'm a son of I'm the son of God. Yes. And so I'm going to live like a son of God. I am not going to let Satan and these trials and this struggle bring me down. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to re- remind myself whose I am and I'm going to continue walking in faith knowing that one day yeah I'm going to receive that prize yes it's don't forget who you are and just listening just listening doesn't make you anything new no and but it's cool that the way he gets here he's like shut your mouth first and listen so you have to listen first which ties in once again james is not preaching against paul like paul is says the same thing exactly he says uh that Faith comes by hearing, hearing and hearing, hearing comes by the word, word of God, of God right? Amen. So, so he's saying the same thing yes. here. He's saying, listen, but don't stop there. Right. Act upon what you're hearing. Once you hear it, then act upon it. Yeah. So how are you going <laughs> to act now that you are reminded, now that you've reminded yourself who you are, how are you going to act yeah. in these trials? Are you going to rise up and beat the crap out of the guy that's beating you up? <laughs> right. Because that's not who you are. No. Okay, so uh, here's a thing that just popped in my head. Okay, let's just say it's your wedding day, right? <laughs> okay. And, and you're the groom. Yeah. Well, you know who you are that morning. You're the groom. Right. Are you going to look in the mirror when you get up in the morning and go, good enough, when you go to your wedding? No. <laughs> Because you're the groom. Right. Right. You're going to comb your hair at least. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you're going to make yourself presentable. You're, Absolutely. You're going to be like, I am I am somebody special today. Yeah. To at least one person in the room. Right. <laughs> and so you become what you know you are. Sure. 
Sure. You, you, so you don't forget who you are whenever right. you walk out there into in front of everybody. You become who you know you are. And so one of the things that looking into the law of liberty does is it makes you more humble. Mm. Right? Yes. It goes, oh, wow, God loves me in the midst of of everything, and he sent his son for me. And so I am going to love others. And that's right. exactly what right. he, that's he where he's going. goes at at the end mm-hmm. of this chapter. He says, if oh, anyone thinks it. he's religious and yep. does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. <laughs> Don't be puffed up. Right. Don't, whenever you look at that law of mem- liberty, if it puffs you up, you're looking at the wrong <laughs> law of liberty. Right, right. You're still not seeing who you are. Exactly. Yeah. You're worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction to keep oneself unstained from the world. Mm. Are you truly a follower of Christ? Are you really? Have you looked in the law of liberty and yeah. saw who you are? Who are you? Then what you're going to naturally start doing... and. And this is also a very good um, take on the whole concept of cheap or greasy grace. Yeah, that y- who you are affects what you do. Yeah. What you are on the inside is what you are on the outside. It becomes what you are on the outside. Right. That you can't be a Christian on the inside and not be one on the outside. Right. And that's you know kind of what it, what is it's going at here. I love that James uses this word religion here, and this is ba- basically the only place in the the New Testament where this word religion is even used. Yeah, and we talk about religion, and and there's all this debate in mo- modern times about I gave up on religion, but I didn't give up on Jesus, and all this, and, <laughs> yeah. and then all the Christians get all mad at them, you know, it's right. like how can you give up religion? And you know, okay, and everyone's fighting about all this. And it's like, but James kind of says the same thing here because he's saying, again, it's tongue in cheek. He's saying, if you're focused on religion, your focus still isn't in the right place. You need to be looking in that mirror, right? Right. If if you say that you're religious, <laughs> but you're still saying things you shouldn't say, you're 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 bragging or you're you're deceiving yourself. Your your religion is vain. Sure. So the religion isn't the point. Sure. It's what's inside and who you become because of, of who you are on the inside. Right. And so whenever he says this pure and undefiled religion, it's almost like he's saying, uh, oh, you want religion? Okay, well, here's religion. Okay. <laughs> if you, so he's like, he's being very sarcastic sure. in this because these are very religious people he's talking to. Mm-hmm. Like they are pr- practicing religious people. That's right. In fact, the next chapter is going to talk about how oh, bad yeah. they got their practices wrong. Exactly. And so he's he's like... Okay, if you're going to practice religion, toss all that stuff that you're calling religion <laughs> and go practice this. Right. And so, I mean, I love that last that last verse because it's actually one of them that has been a key element in a lot of the work we do with the Footprints of Charity sure. and what we're going to be doing this next week whenever sure. we go to Haiti. It's like to care for orphans and widows. Right. And it's like it just keeps coming back to that thing right. all throughout the and how does that, you know, the big question to me, how does that fit into the rest of James 1? Well, the answer is pretty simple to me. Whenever you're focused on others, mm. guess what happens? You stop focusing on your own trials. Yes. You stop focusing yes. on woe is me, and you start, 
you start, you start living like Jesus, yeah, which is pretty absolutely amazing, and that's exactly what the goal is here. Yeah, and right? a good example of this is like, okay, um, and I've probably shared this on the show before, but like the first time I went to Haiti, it's like it was such a paradox. Dude, it was because it was in the middle of right after that earthquake and it was a big mess and people were were just in pieces. I mean, it was just horrible. Sure. Okay. And it was it was like literally the worst week of my life. Mm. Like I I wanted to leave that place mm. with such veracity. Like I can't even tell you. I wanted out of there so bad. But on the other hand, I loved it. Like, I never wanted to leave. And it was such a weird twisting on the inside. And it's like exactly because my trials were one thing. And, and I was seeing, I don't want to be here. I don't want in this trial. I want me, myself, and I want to leave. Right. But the Holy Spirit in me was saying something completely different. Isn't this cool? Is, are, isn't this the real religion? Caring for these people. And because of that, there was a joy tied to it. So when you go all the way back to here, when it says count it all joy, whenever you endure right. this stuff, it makes a whole lot more sense sure. whenever you're serving people. Because then there is a true joy that comes with that. Even if it really sucks, Yeah, there, there's still a joy behind it. Amen. Because God's behind it. That's right. So, you know, this whole first chapter is basically how to handle these struggles, these trials that these guys are going through. In chapter two, he's really going to nail on um, religious <laughs> piety and uh, rich people versus poor people in class systems. So, anyways, it's a fun study. I yeah. love James one. It's good stuff. All right. We ready to roll? Sure. And now the news. All right, so um, one of the one of the biggest news, and it's just heartbreaking, and we've talked about it already. But mm-hmm. what happened um, in Southland, uh, Texas, um, just absolutely devastating. Twenty six people died, and over twenty. Um, it's just so surreal. We're in, yep. We're in, uh, um, uh, we're wounded. Um, and 10 of those are still, it's Monday night, they're still in, uh, um, intensive care. Um, the young man, I guess he was about 27 years old. Um, he had a dishonorable discharge from the military. Um, uh, including a uh, um, domestic violence charge, so he wasn't allowed to to buy a gun in the first place, and and he got a gun. Um, so yeah, so what we need is more gun laws. Yeah, seriously. Uh, <laughs> the thing that stopped him was a uh, another. If man, we just had another law, right? Saying, no, I don't know. A concealed carry man at when he exited the church shot him a couple times, and that's really what stopped him. Um, mm. The pastor was away during it. Yeah, the pastor I heard and his that. wife. But his were family away. was there. His fourteen-year-old daughter yeah. was killed in the the mayhem. Mm. So we need to definitely be praying for uh, this church. Um, 
this is serious struggle, serious trial, and uh, and I don't know if it's going to get worse. Um, our our country is so divided on so many things. I don't know this person's motive. I don't know if anybody knows it yet. Um, other than I heard it, he was anti FIFA. I'm not sure or if he was or not. But we need to pray for Sutherland Springs. Uh, we need to pray for First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs which is almost non-existent now. This is a church of about 50 people. So mm. unbelievable. Uh, breaks your heart. Um, anyways, in other news, um, a woman sues to remove So Help Me God from the U.S. Citizenship Oath. Uh, <laughs> nice. French nationalist and green card holder, holder Olga Paul-Pierre Bilbo. <laughs> her name wow her only obstacle in becoming an american citizen is a four-word phrase she'd have to repeat to complete the citizen process so help me god bilbo is an atheist and is suing to have that phrase removed from the oath of citizenship on the grounds that is a violation of religious freedom and therefore unconstitutional she says the claim or the phrase so help me god claims uh, says sends an, a message to members of the audience that disbelief in God, that they are outsiders, not full members of the political community, and a accompanying message to those that believe in God that they are insiders, favored members of the political community. So I wonder how that'll go. Oh, my. Denzel Washington. This is really cool news. He said he's giving up drinking to focus on the gospel. Hmm. That's right. The 62-year-old actor explained that he made changes in his own life and wants to reach more young people with the gospel. He says, my mother said to me when I was 59, she said, Denzel, you do a lot of good. You You have to do good the right way, and you know what I'm talking about. I don't drink anymore. I don't do any of those things. I'm all about the message. You have to be unafraid and unashamed to share it in a way your millennial generation knows how. We better understand that we are addicted to this, he said, holding up a phone. It's not uh, its fault. It's a magnification and a reflection of our own free will. I pray for your generation. What an opportunity you have. Don't be depressed by it. Because we have to go through this. We're here now. I don't know what it means. You, you can't put that thing back <laughs> yeah, in the box. Go, go Denzel. <laughs> go Denzel. So I guess basically what he's saying is people are all addicted to things and he's trying to uh, yeah. share the gospel somehow. And get off your screen. Get off your screens. Scientists just found a weird hidden structure in the pyramids. What? Scientists in Egypt recently used a high-tech scanning technology to get an idea of what's inside the Great Pyramid of Giza and found something unexpected, a previously hidden chamber deep inside the structure. The president of the nonprofit Heritage Innovation Preservation Institute, group that led the uh, project, said, We are sure about uh, what we are sure about is that this big void is there, but we need to understand it better. The construction of the pyramid has long fascinated historians who still don't fully understand what's inside the massive structures. Pretty interesting. Mm, It is. So we'll see. Those structures are so. I mean, I used to kind of be a student of those things anyway. Yeah. Like studied all the. Well, it's the Nephilim, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> There's all kinds of really weird, like, mathematical perfections about it. Like, 
uh, if we tried to actually reproduce them today, it would be almost impossible to do. Even with the machinery and everything that we got now. Really? Yeah, because how like uh, like the, the, the Great Pyramid of Giza mm-hmm. is like within a degree of perfect square to the cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. And How did they do that back then? Good question. <laughs> That's what makes it so fascinating. And and it's like the dimensions of it from, um, I mean, you can find like um, all kinds of, of mathematical constants in the design of it, like pi is everywhere and the natural logarithm, E. Mm-hmm. I mean, all this stuff, it's just really, really weird stuff. Um, sometime I'll pull up all the, the things that I've got on it. It's, it's wacky. Pretty unique. Yeah. So what do you, do you think that this is, I mean, cause I've always thought, okay, so the whole, um, building, uh, we need to do that. We need to do something on the, uh, I've, I've what's got it a- called? The, uh, um, Tower of Babel. Oh yeah. That yeah. whole thing. I've always wondered, maybe this is like, a you know, a the demonstration of that a little bit. Maybe, yeah. There's, like there's, the different zuggerots and all that junk. I've got a really good book about it uh, by, what's the guy's name? I can't remember. The the guy from um, oh Southwestern Radio Network or whatever up in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Um, he, he's passed away now. His name is Noah. Anyway, he, he old guy... Like he was ninety something years old whenever he died, he uh, and he was still on the radio. Like he was still actively wow. on the radio. Anyway, he wrote a lot of books, and one of his pet studies were, were the Great Pyramids. And so I've got a book by him on the Great Pyramid, and of course he believes it is angelic in design. Okay, like there's like like there was angels involved in it that it predates the fallen angels. Yeah, that it predates the flood. And all kinds of stuff. So this is Nephilim. Well, well, I mean the, the Watchers, yeah. the Watchers, precursors yeah. to the Nephilim. So, uh, yeah. So I'll have to go through that book again because he he pulls up a bunch of really cool. Hey, Brian, and stuff. Mister Gadawa, what do you think about <laughs> the pyramids of Giza? That's something to oh, ask him. Yeah, that is something. We need to have him back on the show. I was just looking at this email that he he sent us. He's got a new book out. And he right. wants to to know if we want to interview him about it. That'd so. be really fun. Yeah, cool. All right, and then I got some Pope news. Brothers and sisters, come together. Hallelujah, the Pope is here. Hello, I'm the Pope. I'm the Pope. Hi. <laughs> I love that. It was my favorite thing. Oh, I laughed so hard at that. Okay, anyways. Pope Francis is reportedly encouraging Brazilian priests to consider some daring pastoral solutions to address a shortage of priests in the Amazon region beginning with possibly opening the priesthood to married men. Hmm. That's right. The Holy Father is allowing a discussion of possible vote on lifting the tradition of priestly celibacy in the regions of the Amazon where other religious traditions, including evangelical Christianity, are displacing Catholicism. This potentially controversial conversation has been raised following a request from Cardinal Claudio Humes, Pope Francis's close friend and former president of the Episcopal Commission of the for the Amazon, to allow men of great faith, also known as viri probate, to be ordained. The Pope initiates a 
collegial process that results in very probate ordinations. Concerned theologians and clergy predict the decision will be limited as an experiment of the moment confined Brazil. At the moment confined Brazil. (laughs) Only Brazilians. Yes, if you're married. If you want to be a Catholic priest and you're married, go to Brazil. (laughs) That's pretty interesting. I know, man. We could be Catholic priests, maybe. (laughs) How would you feel about that one? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, okay. I mean, it'd be cool to wear the robes. To swing that ball with the smoke coming out of it, yeah. To bless water, I'm down. I'm down. Do to bless water perform exorcisms? (laughs) Yeah, I don't want no part of that. Come on, exorcisms. Yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. Did you see the exorcist? (laughs) 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 That crab walked backwards down the stairs. Creep me out pretty badly, actually. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> it's an apopa. <laughs> Anyways, that's all I got. That's all you got. Yeah, man. I'm good. Well, I don't know feedback, nothing really. So, <laughs> well then, let's get out of here. So it's episode 150. Yes, meh, meh. <laughs> you got you got your script. I don't. Oh, it's right there. Now I do. Okay, let's let's go. All right. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go in all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire Podcast. Burn, baby, burn. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us. <coughs> Uh, because that really helps us reach a larger wow. audience. You really need to get over this head cold. There, <laughs> there are several ways that you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on the Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. And if you want more of us, Drop us a buck you or know two you do. at patreon.com. I want more of us. Slash Theonauts. That's right. Your, what do they help us with, David? Your patronage helps us uh-huh. in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. And we use that money wisely. Don't forget yes. to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. All right, Jeremiah. Thanks for being here, brother. Ain't no problem, Mo. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. And this man told me, he said, did you know that we have uh, evolved from protozoas? Do you know what a protozoa is? No, I do not. It's a god sea monkey. <laughs>